Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from the world. So my um, my brother-in-law's when his dad died, I think it was about ninety-four. Um, it was so sweet. His dad is a wonderful old guy called Bo Bazentz, and Bo Bazentz used to it towards the end of his life. He'd get up about I don't know, maybe maybe noon, crack of noon, and he would shuffle across and make himself a cup of tea. And then he used to uh, advertise to any members of the family who were interested that he was then having a lie down. <laughs> The exertion of making his cup of tea was so great. So he'd never lie down until maybe a late, a fairly light lunch. And after lunch, he almost inevitably would have a, 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 a very extensive kip and rise from his kip maybe about five o'clock, up or six, uh, in time for a, maybe a cheese sandwich or something. They go to bed. <laughs> and what I was saying is that towards the end of his life, I suppose he was probably only awake for four or five hours. And that's, that was reducing all the time. So maybe that's the cycle, you know? You just eventually just sleep more and more and more until you just <laughs> never really wake up. So that, you're you're really in the go, endless it? sleep. That's, that, that's the way to go. born from which no traveller returns. Bring it on. <laughs> it sounds great. Now, talking about naps, there was a, a correspondence, a conversation or whatever we call it on Twitter the other day between a number of freelancers who were obviously working at home and one saying to the others, are you having a freelance nap? And I'd never heard no. that expression before. So when I, I when I ring up one of our contributors now, I might be, I'm worried that I might be waking them. They might be prettily a slumber at past be, three in the afternoon. Yeah, they're on a they're on a scatter cushion with their thumb in. And somebody's been reading them an old Iggy Pop feature until they've just dropped yeah, from off. Sound. <laughs> you see, but yeah. I I realise that I do I do have I don't have freelance naps because I can't really kip during the day. I can't do it. But if I'm working at home... What about the weekend? And uh, actually, I could read a book and then drop off in the middle of the afternoon and do that in a dark room in winter. I can do that very easily. But I realised I have the equivalent of freelance nap, which I know various other people do this because I can detect this from the Twitter traffic. You know what the, the contemporary you know, freelance uh, shift is? You think, I'm just going to watch one episode oh, yeah. of... Whatever it is. Yeah, my case, the old eyes are going to start feeling a bit, a bit No, heavy, no, no, not for taking a nap. Yeah. It's just, 
I'm fed up looking at the screen. I'm fed up thinking about whatever I'm writing. I'm just going to go. I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm just going to watch one episode yeah. of so and so, and feel like it's the equivalent of four hours of later. Yeah. I've eaten an entire yeah. sack of hobnobs. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just want to throw in one further thing on the the great uh, pop class debate, which I see has finally reached Radio Force today. Radio Four, well, they credit, six weeks. Us very sweetly, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, and this is started by uh, a column by Simon Price in Word. What's about six weeks ago? Something like that. A bit longer? No, longer. It's, uh, okay. Two and a half months ago. About about the sort of. Uh, you know the 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 monopolising of the upper reaches of the charts by former public school boys. It's an interesting debate. You know, class and pop is always an interesting debate. It's always a lot more complicated than I think people give it credit for. You know, uh, what you've got to take into account with this thing is, is you've had a huge burgeoning of the middle class in the time that pop's been around, haven't you? And the other thing that struck me was thinking about it is that this has gone on for years. In that. You know, in the in the pre-rock and roll era of jazz, you had guys like Humphrey Littleton and George Melly, the kind of public school boys. Well, Humphrey Littleton was at Eton. <laughs> in fact, his father was a teacher at Eton. Who had to do everything in their power to make themselves appear as, uh, you know, as proletarian yeah. as possible. Because it was seen as a real handicap in popular music. And actually, it probably really still is oh, still, of a kind of is. handicap. You know, so some guy goes to Eton. The first thing he does is, is you know, absolutely kill his accent. So that he sounds as if he, you know, went to any comprehensive or whatever. So that he can could have passed muster being interviewed by Steve Lamack or whatever on, on nighttime Radio One, you know. So it, it's it's a, it's a very very complex business. And the other thing that strikes me, it's a bit damn rich. Radio Four and the quality press going on about this as if it's an outrage. Because if there's one area of British life that in the last 30 years... Rammed with Oxbridge graduates. Yeah. more, you know, um, you know uh, more difficult for anybody to get into than ever before. It's those places where, you know, because what's happened across British life in the last 30, 40 years is they've turned crafts into professions. You know, they've built walls around them. Journalism used to be a thing that, you know, any sort of 14-year-old copy boy could seek to rise to be the editor of a national newspaper. Didn't matter when he left school or anything like that. Not the case anymore. You know what I mean? Well, unless you, you get, get a, looked at it, unless, you, unless you get a work uh, work experience placement by being the goddaughter of well, <laughs> the editor of Feature Times, you know. Times, you know. So uh, you know, I think that's a very complicated debate. I, I, must, I didn't totally agree with the article we published, but then I don't totally agree with absolutely everything well, we published. Enough. But but there was, I think, there was one area of it which which it could have covered actually, which is that that idea of privilege, which is what they. Concentrated on so heavily in the Today programme, bringing in the um, I'm not an enormous fan actually, Peter Waterman to to generally denounce pop toffs, <laughs> um, which is hilarious. Is that um, a lot of that money? It's not just the idea of public schools and things. A lot of that money, that middle classness, comes from the entertainment business itself. That the yes. people who are making music now are the sons and daughters of people who made a lot of money in the entertainment business uh, in the 60s and 1970s. Yeah. And so that in itself is an, a whole new exchequer of cash that's turning itself back into the music industry. There's nothing you can do about which it. Which takes me really smoothly to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the Iron Maiden film. Uh, what's it actually called? Fraser Flat 666. Okay, which is a documentary about Iron Maiden on tour, which I want to talk about. But uh, And it's on the BBC iPlayer, so if anybody wants to look at it, they can. You know, they should. They, you've they seen, you've really you've should. seen this, haven't you? I have. It's terrific. Give, I, me, give me a bit I've, of. A... I've seen most of it. I just want to bring in one point before we go, go yeah, talk yeah. about it. Is that they go on tour and all the 
families are there, aren't yes. they? And Iron Maiden, of all the regular blokes' bands, they're the most regular blokes you've ever seen in your life, Very aren't much they? So, yes. They're West Ham fans, you know, they, they're just regular guys. They have no airs about them no. whatsoever. <clears throat> Fronted by another public school boy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Didn't Didn't know know that. That. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't know that. Oh, yeah. that shows that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, that's classic. Oh, completely. <laughs> big, big star oh, on the fencing big, team. Anyway, there's one scene where they interview the children of uh, Steve Harris. Steve Harris, and and there's these uh, three girls, yeah. three girls and a boy, I think, and and there they all are. And I'm not saying they're posh, but. There has been a significant couple of steps in social mobility. They haven't yeah. gone to a comprehensive, have they? I don't know whether they have Maybe or they, they haven't. haven't. But, you know, they are very polished, very pleasant. You know, they, they, I love they're the idea confident. That the, that the Eddie coffers are propelling people to Benish and Swithin. It's hilarious somehow. A wonderful irony. So, anyway, it's a terrific film. So, and... and of course, one of the things that makes it amazing, Fraser, is, is the way that they get round the world, isn't they, it? They do a world tour and travel in their own jet, which is piloted by Bruce Dickinson. Well, I just couldn't get over this. because I mean, they, Here's a man who works hard during the Absolutely. Show, and then this he goes is, and flies them. This, absolutely. Concert. I would have thought there's two really high-pressure occupations. One is, you know... Tearing around a stage in an, on a, in an arena in and front he of does thousands of people. And boy, stage. he tears around. He really does. And the other is, no small thing, well, flying a 757. I know, I'm always, I'm always giving the impression that I live on Stella Street, you know, that every single door is opened by a, a member of the entertainment business. But, but it was only six months ago. The Bruce Dickinson lives about 200 yards from me. And, and I was walking down to buy a, a paper in the corner shop. Well, he lives two, 200, 200 yards from me, yeah. Yeah, in I have to say, in the big posh. Oh goodness! Oh, I mean, not, not, no, no, Dave. Not, not where you live is exactly. Oh no, no. The, where I live, it, where I live is very, very carefully graded. It, it goes from houses like mine to the next street, which are very considerably bigger, to the next street beyond that, which are giant, and one beyond that is where Dickinson lives. Oh right! <laughs> and uh, it, 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 it's a very substantial pile indeed. But anyway, I, I, I'm going on the street and I hear the rumbling of, 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 um, of a suitcase on rollers, and it's and it's Bruce Dickinson coming back. From uh, from bizarrely not in a cab, it's interesting pop fact, isn't it? Coming back from 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 the airport anyway, where he had been working as a commercial pilot. Because when he's not in Iron Maiden, he, 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 as you know, he works as a pilot, and that is an absolutely standard job. You know, he he works for a certain airline, he does certain flights. Does um, he? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, really. So charters, he does yeah. it. Somebody who I know. So he doesn't need the money. He just likes. No, no. You know, he really, really enjoys flying. He's obviously right. good at it, and yeah. I can imagine it must be. He, he, I've met him several times, and he's. We ought to interview him actually. Yeah. He's such an interesting guy, and his description of what it's like to fly these planes. These are big. He flies big air, air, aircraft. You know, uh, is absolutely. Absolutely enthralling. You know, it's every kind of teenage kid's computer game fantasy made real. And when when they tour, when the group tour, he elects to fly them everywhere, which is why they can fly in yeah. parts of the globe that nobody ever reaches because he flies on certain planes that no commercial airline would take. So it's them with all their equipment. Well, this is PA, the, thing, this the whole thing, thing that I didn't, Iron Man I didn't fully take on board until I saw this film is, of course, it's not just the band. It's, it's obviously everybody in the crew. It's the crew. It's, it's the family. And in the back, it, they've had it specially adapted for their equipment. So that, their costs must be, you know, a li- half of what anybody else's yeah. would be because they're not having to yeah. pay a freight yeah. company. It's just astonishing. And, of course, the, you know, they all get on board. 
and and Bruce is there. And the, the thing I couldn't believe is he dresses as a pilot pretty much, doesn't he? Yeah. I'm not saying he has a proper uniform, but he has the white sh- short sleeve shirt, doesn't yeah. he? But then you, I see the epaulets. No, absolutely. have you ever been on a Ryanair flight? You must have been. Yeah. I went on a Ryanair flight to to Mallorca recently, and you know you get your they do the safety routine right, and it's done by Candice and and Tracy right. Mucking about, Dave. Oh, don't like that. They're mucking about. There's a bit of the image there, and of course, it's going to be hot when you get there. And if anyone hasn't got the factor 50, oh, I think we've got some spare tubes around. In fact, Candy's level rummage around in her drawers. And then she looks up and goes, It's not what you're thinking. Oh, you know, and I kind no. of, in a kind of Frankie Howard face. You know, you're thinking, Look, A, this is this routine's a little bit, um, a, a, a little bit downbeat anyway. But I don't want to be there when this plane finally hits the water and Candy's in charge. Because I, I want to... somebody who's going to be smiling. I'd and, like to. I'd like to feel that everybody involved in flying that plane has no sense of humour whatsoever. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's all I want to think about. All I want to think about is that they want to get there in one piece, and therefore I'll be After the getting you a gin and tonic. Yeah. Of, this, of this policy. That's yeah. all there I'm are airlines that are worse than uh, Ryanair. I took a flight once to Turkmenistan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Already, I'm Let's have that line once more. Oh. Uh, I took a flight once in Turkmenistan. Yeah, oh, and, for uh, a third oh, time, Fraser. Oh, oh. <laughs> it, it was perfectly fine until the plane landed. At which point it taxied to a stop and 11 people came out of the cockpit. <laughs> what? Seriously, yeah. Is it taking 11 people to fly this plane? No, no, not at all. They just, they just squeezed a few extra passengers. Oh, my God! Oh, please don't say that. They, t- they tell great stories about the early days of, uh, of uh, air travel, commercial air travel, about the pilots were allowed to have, a, you know, an eccentric sense of humour. And there's a story about uh, a guy who, who used to get on the plane with the passengers, not in uniform, <laughs> and sit there alongside them and look impatiently at his watch, you know, and then go, I'll bugger it off like me. <laughs> Anyone could do it. Made his way to the yeah. cockpit. And the other one was, was a part well, of the And then talk to them while they're belching loudly. The sound of a can of beer being opened. The other thing was a pilot who used to actually wait until all the passengers were, uh, were seated and then make his way onto the plane wearing sunglasses and white stick. <laughs> and uh, and make his way. To this the, sounds to like the something planet. out of Viv Stanchel and Keith Moon's sort of you know <laughs> <laughs> biographies. But I just want, having watched the Iron Maiden film, which is a terrific film, and everybody sh- should see it. And boy, what an extraordinary operation they've got! Yeah. And, you know, I can't believe just how popular they are. You know, because they go to India and Japan and Central America yeah. and so forth. Um, I don't like the music at all. And neither do I. I loved it when I was 16. Oh, right. I, you I said, saw them a few times, but I, I find it pretty much unbearable now. <laughs> and you know, we were talking last week, or whenever it was, about the kind of the breaks in the supposed continuity of popular music. It struck me that Iron Maiden and Nwobobum, or however we call it, the new wave of British heavy metal, was probably another one of those. And that to me, it doesn't sound as if it belongs to the world of, I don't know, Led Zeppelin. Deep Purple, Montrose. It doesn't rock in my, to my ears. And it's very interesting where they interview the producer because uh, they're, they're mixing some tracks. And he says they pretty much do everything the same all the time. You know, it has a long instrumental introduction, then it has a fast bit, and then it gallops, it's he gallops, says. Yeah. It gallops. Oh, that's good. And I yeah, think like that's that. a really interesting observation. And my main complaint about Iron Maiden... And not that particularly, but I think this applied to loads of groups. I think they go too fast for me, not just because I'm elderly. Um, and, and I wondered, watching the crowds, whether headbanging was a physical response to the speed of the mu- music. Because you kind of can't do anything else to it. 
Well, speaking as an ex-headbanger, uh, <laughs> I can say that when I was 16, my favourite headbanging song was a track by the Scorpions called The Zoo, which is actually a very slow song. Oh, I see. So I don't think it's all about velocity. But uh, I can't understand. How do you headbang slowly? <laughs> that, that, that seems a contradiction. Well, you see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to suggest... I can remember going to see Status Quo, who were a bit of a transitional group in this, in the mid-'70s. Status Quo were always a boogeyman underneath yeah. it all. You know, so there was something about them that you could have put them in a juke joint in Alabama and they'd probably have done all right. There's a bit of swing. There's a bit of swing. Yeah, absolutely. They used to headbang because they used to swing their hair from side to side quite slowly and rhythmically, whereas... Headbanging to Iron Maiden, like kind of punk headbanging, is regardless of the rhythm, isn't it? It's just, uh, you know, it's just desperate velocity. Yeah. It, it's, it's incredibly vigorous activity. And I was thinking about this because I, I'm looking at a really interesting piece that Paul Denoy has written, which is in the next issue of Word, about uh, the Lomax uh, father and son, um, the, the great... American folk archivists who travelled America recording muddy waters and capturing field recordings of all, of all kinds of people. And he make, Paul makes the point in here that the kind of rock dance was based on, on the African-American work motion. You know, that, that, that those original movements were meant to make onerous work slightly more pleasurable, you know, pulling the barge or I don't, I don't know, whatever. How and they generally it? involved... Both feet being planted on the floor. The chain gang? No. They, well, what, yeah. anything, you know, swinging a pick or yeah, a you pick. Know, pulling something, I don't know, uh, you know, hauling in a net or anything like that. It's a repetitive, and it tends to involve the feet being planted... Very firmly on firmly the ground. Firmly on the ground. And therefore the movement... Are you suggesting that the Iron Maiden's following is an extension of the... <laughs> no. ...of the work of the cotton fields I'm suggesting, of 19- I'm suggesting that... The, <laughs> no, that's, that's a huge break, yeah. you know. Um... And I'm suggesting the most rock and roll dancing that people did was based on the black tradition. And then it started to change. Yeah. And so disco dancing is fundamentally different because it's very kind of Italian, isn't it? That's right. It's fluid. It's not mechanical. It's it's incredibly showy. You've certainly only got one foot on the ground most of the time. Yes. Two. (laughs) And uh, no, it just struck me whether I I was actually too old to ever like something like Iron Maiden because I'd kind of... I'd learnt, what I'd learnt to appreciate about rock and roll was learnt before that particular I would ship. say that by now you've uh, passed the target demographic. <laughs> <laughs> Fraser, you've got to describe to me and any other listeners who, who are a bit outside of this, what, what does the new wave of heavy, British heavy metal sound like? What's the, what's the difference? What's the main characteristic that means it doesn't sound like deep purple? It was short initially, I think. It was, I think uh, Van Halen and their first couple of albums would have been a big influence and you had bands writing three-minute songs as opposed to these big epics that Deep Purple and, and bands like that had done before. There was no space trucking or Child in Time in, in New Wave of British But then it grew it, didn't it? And there was also presumably it must have gone also, back to that now. There must also, be a Child yes, in Time. There's yeah. also a bit of punk in there. If you listen to Motorhead or who aren't really New Wave of British Metal but around that time and... Uh, and certainly the first two Iron Maiden albums, there's a lot of punk in there. Well, Motorhead's like the same, it's got the same kind of rhythms as the Ramones or something, isn't yeah. it? It's this just a relentless drive, isn't it? The, uh, the, my favourite moment in the film is, is the, meeting, and the meeting of all the fans in Melbourne, Melbourne, in Australia, prior to the, the gig there. There's hundreds of them in some huge pub. And this girl's interviewed, and she says, look around you, there's all sorts of different people here, united by Iron Maiden. And the camera hands across the... (laughs) (laughs) 
entirely white, yeah. you know, entirely 35 to 45. Yeah. Uh, a very stained T-shirt. Every single last one is wearing a black T-shirt, holding a pint of lager, and doing, kind of doing the, you know, <laughs> ears, and the devil's horns. Yeah. You know, it's the most, you know, it's the most slavishly conformist group you've <laughs> ever right, seen. Yeah. And that's obviously a huge part of the appeal. Yeah. You, know, you get along with other people who are who are completely the same but as you. The interesting thing about Unmaiden is that, is that a whole generation of new fans have come through for that band. Who really? Are, the same age as the ones who are now 35 stuff that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's, you know, there's mothers and fathers and, yeah. and sons and daughters. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So my favourite bit of writing about music in the last month or so, apart from stuff I read in Word, uh, is a piece in The New Yorker written by James Wood. And it's fantastic. About, it's, about, it's a brilliant piece. It's about Keith Moon. It's not about Keith Moon the Hellraiser, or Keith Moon the Drinker, the Philanderer, the Tragedy. It's about Keith Moon. Get this. It's about a drummer. It's about... It sounds boring. Isn't. No. You see... Couldn't I, be less I boring. I think for a start, it, to me, doesn't sound boring at all. No, no I turned not the page And I thought, there's 5,000 words about Keith Moon's yeah. drumming. And I'm not the world's biggest Keith Moon fan, but I thought... Bring it on. But it does the perfect wait. thing that great writing my music should do, which is it makes you, it made me go back. And Absolutely. This is about, I think we're going to play some. I mean, I've yeah. got some. But it made me go back and listen to just how complicated this stuff was and how thrilling. And the, the, Actually, I brought the piece in. There's a Brit, he, say, a bit he says here, um, he starts off by saying, um, what a good point this is, that uh, the attraction uh, of the drums, he says, is, is, is something that dates back to childhood. Because it's about, it says it's like yelling. It's about hitting things. <laughs> and a lot of childhood is about that kind of aimless punching of inanimate <laughs> objects to express some kind of emotion, you know. And he says that, that and it's a very accurate description of Keith Moon, that Keith Moon effectively is just a child who's just never grown up. He's still this, this little tiny, you know, slightly violent... Is that animal from the Muppets? Animal, yes, he is just thrashing out. And, um, and also, it's such a brilliant form of self-expression drumming. It is an extension of your personality. That's the, why these well, drums are so... Well, what he says, when you play the drums, you are the drums. You are the drums, and no more so than him but there's, I'm going to read this bit out because I think it was so wonderful I was reading it on the train coming this morning he talks about the four members of The Who and their contribution their individual contribution to the overall sound and he says um, The Who had uh, extraordinary rhythmic vitality and it died when Keith Moon died 32 years ago I think he was only 32 and he died it's amazing when you think about it Pete Townsend's hard tense suspended chords seemed to scour the air around them Roger Daltrey's singing was a young man's fighting swagger and incitement to some kind of crime John Entwistle, it's, his incessantly mobile bass playing was like someone running away from the scene of the crime. And Keith Moon's drumming, in its inspired vandalism, was the crime itself. <laughs> it's fantastic. Which is a brilliant way to look back at this. Because there, was, there was then a, a discussion about this on, on the Word website, and somebody included the link to, uh, to an isolated recording of Keith Moon's drums at Leeds on Summertime Blues. And, and you can find this on, on YouTube. Here, here it is. Fantastic rolls all the way through. He's playing more notes than there are notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely exquisite? It's, it's, incre- it's extraordinary stuff. You've got Animal for the Muppets analogies, right? It sounds like he's got an extra pair of arms yeah. and legs. You see, I'm, I'm, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, I'm no musician. How did he get that good? You 
know, this is a kid who kind of grew up in Shepherd's Bush, you know, probably didn't have much training or anything like that. And it's just ex- astonishing. It is astonishing. I, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, which, which not many other people were doing, so Ginger Baker did it a bit, and Noel Redding did it a bit, was the idea that the drama... In fact, that in the piece, he makes a really good point, that um, most dramas, he said, are, are, are condemned... They're, they're the condemned metronome. Yeah. So that's the, that's your role. Is you've got to sit there and obediently whack out a four four beat, and provide a foundation over which a load of other people can show off and <laughs> pontificate and uh, draw attention to themselves. And Keith Moon obviously wasn't prepared to accept that, and he thought that that why can't you? In, the basic thing in, in in four bars for most drummers is you don't fill except for the last bar. So the first is dum 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 you know, that's that last bit is the bit where you feel well he felt that you could just do the last bar all the way through. <laughs> so he does. He, all four bars are just him thrashing wildly. But it ought to be a pain in the arse, doesn't it? Yeah. But it works absolutely astonishingly well, doesn't it? You know, that's the it's lead drums. It's <laughs> is it? In fact, the point this guy makes is he's almost the lead instrument of the group. The idea that, 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 that it builds the, to the punchline, which is the crime itself, is yeah, him, yeah, yeah. which is really good. Do you think point. this is all part of, the, of, the, of a long-term uh, adjustment of the, of the historic balance where rock and roll has been seen as primarily the creative playpen of the guys at the front... And, that, and we're slowly moving back to recognise the truth, which is, which is that it's all about the guys at the back. Because we discussed this, you know, six months ago, six months ago with Andy Murray. And, and we also talked about it when Ringo was 70, you know, with, oh, with, God, with we... Matt Priest. You know, the, the, as time goes by, you realise that these guys there brought something to these groups. irritates me more than those, those appallingly flipped clichés about Ringo not even being the best drummer in the Beatles. I mean, I sat there when they, when they did the, the, the remasters of the Beatles. And I went to Abbey Road with George Martin. Play, he played me. I, just what we've heard there, isolated bits of Ringo. And, uh, you know, something is, is the one. If you listen to the drumming on something and on Come Together, it is ludicrous, and more ludicrous than that actually is uh, is uh, happiness is a warm gun, which has four different uh, sections in two different time signatures, three different time signatures. Unbelievable. Now, far be it from us to encourage anybody to go onto the internet and and attempt to well, certainly and seriously, not to steal anybody's copyright, but you know. Some of this stuff is on YouTube to be heard, isn't it? And I heard Ringo the other day that the drum track of Come Together is on YouTube where Lennon and McCartney are trying to tell him what to do. Oh, that's rich. And well, what what he does rich. is better than what they tell him. You know what I mean? Sure. They're trying to lead him towards oh, something. Yeah. And then you hear him and you think, no, that's Ringo. Yeah. You know, he supplied something that they could never have supplied themselves. No, it's, it just interests me, you know, this whole, this whole debate about, about drummers, you know, that they tend to get completely written off. And actually, they're the guys with the fingerprint that actually yeah, makes a difference the, in their form Oh, God, stuff. Levon Helms drumming. I mean, this yes! Go on forever. Levon Helms drumming on, on that second band album. <laughs> is re- and uh, the interesting pop fact, not an easy drumming. He's actually singing, I think, yes. live on a lot of it. <laughs> Rather well, How someone does he do that? Oh, well, I, met, I, I, I met Keith Moon just before he died. Yeah, on. I was a waiter. I, I worked for a, a bar in, in Chelsea um, called the Boozy Rouge. <laughs> the Boozy Rouge Wine Bar. By the fire station, by the town hall of the King's Road, and uh, where I had to wash dishes and also introduce the musicians. Who do we have? The guy, what's his name? Is it Raph Ravenscroft? Yeah. G.T. Uh, Moore. Raph Ravenscroft, he was one of the solo acts. He came in on Tuesdays. G.T. Moore and his reggae guitars Thursdays. G.T. Moore oh, and yeah. his reggae guitars. Oh, yeah. And a, a group called Driftwood. 
I think we're on Wednesday nights. It went on to form the bootleg Beatles. Driftwood. That's very, that's very 70s. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we got a job. Uh, all of us got a job on, on the Barclay Square Ball as waiters. And uh, they, they did every year. They, they, they you know, cordon off Barclay Square and sell very, very, very expensive tickets and a lot of champagne. And in those days, you know, groups like George Melly and the Feet Warmers would entertain. And I got the tables at the far end, the, the northern bit, and there was... And I can remember him because he was wearing a white suit, which is... Exa- he was exactly how I imagined he'd be and sort of wanted him to be. Keith Moon, very kind of overweight, very, very sweaty. He died three weeks later. He died, I think, on the 7th of September 1978. This was late August 78, this ball. And he was sitting at the end of this table with the kind of buttons almost about yeah, peeing yeah. off his, his... He looked like a Lexi sail, you know, busting out of his suit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very kind of greasy hair and unshaven and just, just surrounded by empty bottles of Moe, shouting for more. Being very entertaining, but surrounded by a team of thirsty acolytes and uh, hangers-on. And Admiring his least admirable... His uh, least admirable policies. thing is nobody was talking about his polyrhythmic <laughs> r- uh, expertise there, Dave, uh, I can tell you. No, but uh, it was rather... Uh, I can remember that. I was still a bit in the warm glow of having been the person to supply him with his eighth bottle of Moe and relieve him of his um, £8.70 or whatever it was. Uh, uh, when he turned his toes up three yeah, weeks later. So mm-hmm. there we go. I think, I think it's very sad that people like that end up being praised for probably the, the least... Admirable parts of what they what they were you completely. Know. No, you're absolutely. Uh, well, right. I was thinking this reading the Keith Richards book. That, you know that I, I'm I'm just tired of all your your stories about your exploits and your image, Keith. Whereas the bit where you talk about playing the guitar, the bit where you talk about when Ray Kuda showed me how to do a special tuning, it completely changed the Rolling Stones. Um, that's the stuff I'm really interested in, you know, and, and, and I feel that there's not enough of that kind of stuff. I couldn't agree more. I well, you think, I think there's people like Todd Rundgren as well. I mean, not there's much of a legend of Todd Rundgren. No one ever talks about his musicianship. Phenomenal. Yeah. So good. He once did a whole album, which was a, it was a kind of homage to the Beatles, really, and he played all the parts himself. Just, it was, it was, it Faithful. Was, what was it called? It was kind of like... Well, the Faithful, the thing where they had one side which was just cover versions, uh, where he did the Yard That's right. and the Beatles and whatever. I can't remember what he did on the other side. Danny Thompson's another amazing example. Danny Thompson, I know people are starting to respect him, but if you listen to that, the driving force of those Pentacle records, lead string bass. Oh, he's going... But all you ever hear about Danny Thompson... again, bro. <laughs> all right, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, cool. nobody... Everyone just says, eyelids look extraordinarily heavy the moment I start talking about the Pentacle. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. We're back, as they say on the radio, and here, back by popular demand after about 18 months, is uh, Mike 70s Johnson. Superb. With his uh, little bit of a ripple. It's like the Steve Wright show, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, with a little clapping. He's finally sat up from the production desk and he's decided to treat you all. You've got to get pencils and papers now, haven't you? Out there in in Massive Land. Because Mike's going to give you the second instalment of his incredibly challenging... And popular. And very, very popular. Yeah. Uh, and controversial rock and roll it, spelling test. Yeah, it was now, controversial. We did time. we did the first lot months and months ago. Uh, can you remember any examples of what we had in the first Shakespeare's lot? Sister. Oh, yeah. Shakespeare's sister. Shakespeare's sister. It started a heated debate. Which yeah. All those things. Yes. So it involves, we're t- dealing here with spelling and, and punctuation. We're, well, we're not, because uh, yeah, I sort of um, upbraided by Archie Valparaiso on, online for um, something oh, diacritics and um, sort of... <laughs> Uh, you know, circumflexes and accents and things like that. Whereas this time it's really down to spelling. 
Right, so okay. So what's yeah. going to happen is Mike is going to give you the <laughs> question. You see, we, they don't get this conversation on Uncut, do they? Talking about whether well, there should be a circumflex on Archie Valparaiso. Or <laughs> <laughs> so Mike's going to give us a question, and then we're, we're going we're to do our best to answer Okay, so it. we're going to... But meanwhile, okay. you out there will no doubt know the answer. Yeah? Oh, okay, gorgeous. Yes. Right, so... No Googling. But we're trying to give you... Clearly no... We were doing this partly... You're yourselves, as I'll teach you to say. That's right. Right. Okay, Mike, here we go. Question one. Okay, right. Number one is Freeze. Early 80s Brit punk band. Sir, 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 sir. Go on, go on, go on. Mark This is my era. When I was the editor of Smash Hits, it's F-R-E-E-E-Z. What do you think, Freeze? Freeze and no E at the end. You think that's right? I'll go with the expert over here. Okay, what do, you, what do you right. say, Mike? He's right. He's Thank absolutely you. Right. Thank you. So it's the three E's. If you've got the three E's out there, give Thank yourself you. a pat on the back. Yeah. Okay, number two, Mike. Okay, that is Spiz Energy. Ooh. Diminutive. So, regularly so, 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 regularly <laughs> playing at the uh, <laughs> Filthy McNasties down the road. Absolutely right. Fraser, you want to have a go? I'll have a go. S-P-I-double-Z. double Okay, go on. E-N-E-R-G-I. That's correct. I'm with him. That's I'm with him. You're all too good. No, yeah, he's telling them. Oh, give, us, <laughs> give us something. Oh, I'll okay, put a bit of spin on it, for Christ's sake. What, the other spin? The other spin. Oh, Atletico Spiz 18. Yes, very good. Anyway, next next question. Spiz oil. Anyway. Right. Veruca Salt. Veruca Salt. Bit of controversy about it. Well, you see, I think that's V E R U C A Salt. S A L T. No. I'm Hello. saying not. It's V-E-R-R-U-C-C-A, salt. Fraser? I think Dave's right. Dave is right. Ah, oh, for God's I thought it was. Sake. I thought it was double C, Norian Veruca, but... Um, you I'm see, I think it might... It it might oh, kind of thing I think it might strictly be the word Veruca... It's two R's in some cases, but I think the spelling of that group is... Yeah. Is as I right, I mean, for a bonus point, yes, it's from a Roald Dahl uh, story. Uh, oh, it's a Roald Dahl story yes, called... Um, oh, God, is it Charlie and the No Charlie, Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Thank you, so I've gained back another 15 points, surely. Oh, okay. We're level pegging. <laughs> Mike 70s Johnson, it's question juice. four. Yeah. Right, uh, Living Colour. Ooh. New York funk metal band. All right, Mark Allen. There must be a reason why he's asked us, of course. Yeah. American group. Mm. Therefore, it must be the spelling of colour is not American. Okay, am I anywhere? Am I getting warm? Well, I'm going to have a go. Oh, it's got to be living, as in living, and C O L O U R. I think it's just so O R, isn't it? C O L O R. I think no, it is. It is. I mean, the, 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 oh, is my right? The tricky aspect is that it's an American band, but with a British. Do you know? I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, question five. Okay, um, old school now. Procol Harum. Oh, oh right. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do Where Harum. I can do both. It's it's. Oh, it's, oh wait a minute. Hang on. Move my sheet. Um, no. <laughs> oh, he's Mark Ellen's having to write I'm, it down. Hang on. <laughs> it's muscle memory, isn't it? <laughs> Harum is H A. I'll do it from the back. H A R U M. Definitely makes Procol. Yeah. P R O C O L. Procol. Procol. Harum. I would say okay. the same thing. Very good indeed. Anyone know where it came from? Oh, my Lord, 70s, you're on <laughs> fire. <laughs> my God. I may be shattered. For a man who survived press night and probably a colossal hangover, the mother of all hangovers, she did very well. Come on. No, Procol Harum, God, let's have a think. Oh, Gosh, no, is that going to be a character from a book as well? No. no it, well, it's uh, quite interesting. Um, well, in Latin, it means beyond these things. Ooh, no. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. God. And it was suggested by their manager... Uh, because it was the pedigree name of a cat, of uh, a friend's cat. 
But he but he would never it. have. And the name of the cat was Procol Harun, H A R U N. But oh, he, he wrote no it one down wrongly. Cat names like that. Cat's yeah, called Flossie. No, and... no, it's a pedigree <laughs> name of, of a Siamese cat. While we're, while we're having a little incredible. tangent like that, can, I'm going to throw this in, and I'm not going to give anybody the answer, but it let people tease themselves. Because we, we discovered this in the office the other day. Brain salad surgery is obviously an Emerson, Lake and Palmer album. But where does the line come from in the first place? And it's nothing to do with the LP, is it? We discussed this in the office. Do you not it's remember? It's going to be a chapter title no. from a book by William lyric? Burroughs. It's a lyric. It's a lyric, but it's not Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Yeah. Kerry Shale and I were talking about this the other day. I was amazed. At him. It comes from Dr. John's In the Right Place. Just need a little brain salad surgery, got to cure my insecurity. Oh, right. And it was suggested Very by a guy at the record company. That's fantastic. So it's not Emerson Lake and Palmer's idea at all. Extraordinary. Anyway, it is. Oh, it is. Question right. what? We on? Five oh. or six? Um, oh, I don't know. We, we went up to 11, didn't we? Last are you time? suggesting <laughs> that Emerson Lake and Palmer are bereft of ideas? No, David? No, no. They couldn't even. No, you can if you want. <laughs> anyway, the next one is Scarlett Johansson. I can do this. This I can do. This I can do. I know. I know. Go on then. Um, it's Scarlet with an extra T, S-C-A-R-L-E-T-T, and Johansson is J-O-H-A-N-S-S-E-N. So near. It's Johansson. It's one S. It's O-N. It's O-N. Oh, is it really? I've got Johan Two S's O-N. Next. All right, I'm taking it on the chin. See me, could do that. My sweating. I am sweating. Uh, You're worried now, right. 70s, that you've got it wrong. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> the reason we're doing this, really, really, oh, is, is a lot of people think it's very simple, isn't it, working on a, on, a, on a rock and pop culture magazine. But no, we're no, up no. late the arguing about the, the spelling of your, Scarlett Johansson. For your benefit. Well, we're going straight to hell for that last one. Go anyway, on. right, Travelling Wilburys. Without writing it down. I know this. I know this. Fraser doesn't. I, I, don't, I know this, Fraser. I'll have a go. Go on. I said travelling spelt the regular way, and the Wilburys with a double L. No. Doubly wrong. Doubly wrong. Doubly wrong. Doubly wrong. Yeah. Minus ten. <laughs> <laughs> Docked. Go on, Mark. Sorry. It's but it's what he said, but with one L in each word. It's travelling. And Wilburys is spelt L. with a Y S, not an I E S. That's it's, right. Because yeah, the yeah. Americans don't one double L up the letter, word. do they? No. Yeah. Okay. Next. Very good. Right. Queensrÿche. Oh, over to you, Fraser. Actually, this is sort of so, breaking so, the so, rule so. about the diacritical marks slightly, <laughs> but anyway. I, I used to have a Queensrÿche record, but I, the logo was so complicated that you couldn't fathom what the letters were anyway. <laughs> or how to pronounce it. It's probably some umlauts or... Um, yes. Yeah. There yeah. Is oh, is there really? Sorry, Archie. I didn't know that. Go on. I love the way Word magazine always uh, spells Motorhead with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the oh, two absolutely. dots on the, on, the, on the O. And Motley Crue. And Motley Crue. That's think, proper, isn't it? That's what you pay your four pound eight for. You're changing the, changing the <laughs> subject here. Come on. Spell Queen's right, Fraser. Come on. Q U E N S R E I C. No! No, no, no. No! This is ludicrous. Fraser, you of all people, James to be a bit of a metal fan, is missing the opportunity of inserting a completely unnecessary. Sorry, why? Of course, it's got a Y in it because it's a metal band. Okay, yeah. so, they always well, have a Y. It it's be... Queen. It's Q U E N S R I C H E. No, what? No, 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 no. Well, this is exciting talk. Q U Q U E N S R Y C H E. That's what I said. And you said R I. No, I said. Did I? 
Well, I meant why. No clue. I meant why. I did actually mean why. I didn't say I, did I? You did say I. Oh, this is appalling. Okay, next. The umlaut goes over the wire. Okay, fine. How do you get an umlaut? So we're all wrong. Okay. You do sort of alt on your Mac, I think. Okay, too much detail. Anyway, you can cheat. Right, Alanis Morissette. Oh, I always get this one. This is simple. It's, it's well, no, so uh, unintuitive. It's, it's just, uh, as any fool knows, <laughs> it's just A-L-A-N-I-S, M-O-1-R-I-S-S-E-T-T-E. Thank you. Is that right? Spelling B. Thank you, people. You're all weak. How many more? Right, the very last one, and a bit of information here. It comes from a friend's fantasy basketball team, apparently, dreamt of, or rather chosen by CeeLo in Danger Mouse, and it is Niles Barkley. Actually, Danger Mouse, it. everyone gets wrong. I know, well, it. Always, I know it, these it's things. It's just two words, Danger Mouse, isn't it? It's two words. Yeah. Right, Danger Niles Mouse. Barkley, come on then, Mark. Uh, uh, Niles, Niles Barkley is G-N-A-R-L-S, and then it's... Cutting. Oh, wait a minute, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> hang on. It's Niles, it's... Oh, it's great radio. <laughs> God, that's tricky. It's... I think it's B-A-R-K-L-E-Y. <coughs> or it could be B... E R K L A Y. No, no, no. It's B A R, surely. Barkley. Barkley. Yeah, right, first time. I was yes. right, first time. Yeah, yeah, right, thank you. Right. Thank right. you very much. But very he wasn't well sure of it, was no, no, he? He didn't have the confidence yeah, yeah, yeah. on the jacket. So that's the, the second instalment of, uh, of Mike Johnson's extraordinary rock and roll. This is how you get employed in, 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 in rock publishing. <laughs> this is what your interview will consist yes. of if you ever wanted to apply for a job. Can I test Mike? Oh, yes, of course. He does this for a living, doesn't he? Quest Love. Drummer from the Roots. Oh, this is a great one. Quest this is a love. great one. Yeah, oh, I That's know this. Great quest. That's a great one. Well, the first thing on top of my head would be Q-E-T. No, no. no. K-W-E. No. 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 no, it's a klaxon. <laughs> third, time, third time I'll get, take this uh, bin bag, right. Mike. <laughs> think of, think of the group. The uh, group fronted by somebody, the group who called the Mysterians. Yeah, that yeah, will give you a clue. Yeah. Oh, would it be a question mark? Oh, yeah. oh, W-E-S-T. <laughs> and then it's, it's, it's a question mark E. And the rest question mark E-S-T-L-O-V-E. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh. So, where if you've got right. any complaints about Except any part of, of, of Mike's, Mike's spelling test, if you'd like to take him up on the on the precise placing of uh, omelettes or anything, it's uh, it's Mike yes. at wordmagazine.co.uk. Oh, God. Oh, no, 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 he's got work to do. And it's Mike's oh. birthday yeah, next week, isn't it? It is. Happy yes. birthday, Mike. Thanks, so. thanks, for, thanks for coming on the program. <laughs> Thank you. Good luck with your tour. Good luck with the book. And come back and tell us all about it later on. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Uh, finally, okay, any other business? This has come from the massive, various questions as ever. Uh, this has come from Whole Hog. Who's oh, that's Gavin Hogg. Okay. Well, as I said before, Gavin Hogg's written a wonderful article. It is so he thing. wants to know Ivor Cutler or Viv Stanchel. Ivor Cutler or Viv Stanchel? Oh, that's a ludicrous question. It's a stupid oh, question. Oh, Gavin, that's just... Send us another question. So what's what do you the answer? Mean? Well, obviously Viv. <laughs> okay. How could it possibly... He also asks on the same universe. He also asks Arctic monkeys or the libertines. That's Arctic a, monkeys. Oh, or the same, libertines. same from Gavin as well. Okay. Oh, the, the Arctic monkeys are particularly uh, Alex Tuna, as we call him in the office, because, although unkindly, uh, Mike Johnson has cut out the cover of the Guardian 
that advertised an interview with Alex Tuna of the Arctic Monkeys. As a sort of salutary, sobering, <laughs> radiating negativity message of the terror of getting a, a name wrong, particularly on the cover. But anyway, Alex Tuna of the Arctic Monkeys is an absolutely card-carrying genius, in my view. I'm sorry, never. Arctic Monkeys have never made a bad record. Never. Have you ever heard anything substandard by them? Uh, any description at all? No. <laughs> Come, Fraser, it's almost, he's, it's almost he's like still you do something. And the same with like Radiohead. Have you ever heard a bad record by Radiohead? Oh, they've never oh, made a bad record. Started. I think if the Atomics are terrible, they'd still be better than the Libertines. Okay. Anyway, further questions uh, coming in from the Massive. Uh, somebody asks Baskerville, uh, once again, uh, asks bands that replace dead members, does this generally work? The Stones did okay, but others like the Who struggled. It's quite true, actually. Going back to our discussion about Keith Moon. You, you wouldn't have cared to be Kenny Jones on day one with the Who, would you? First rehearsal. No. Can you, can you make Jason Bonham better than his dad? Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Paul Rogers not as good as Freddie Mercury. Right. Paul Rogers not as good as Freddie. Oh, right. Replacing Queen. Okay. Gagarin says egg or pineapple is surely the question of the week, and I've got to ask you about it. Uh, every year, there's a symposium held at Oxford University. <laughs> Uh, where the world's greatest food scientists gather. Uh, in 2007, I believe, the subject of the entire symposium was egg. They would never do the same for pineapple. He <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> packed it. a world of hurt. You, know, you don't know that question was coming, did you? <laughs> Just improvise. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's so true, because there are not very many pineapple recipes, are there? But the the, the (laughs) humble egg has a a, a variety. So, uh, well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Uh, Don't forget to sign up for the... uh the regular weekly newsletter, if you don't already get it. You can find details of that and everything to do with the magazine on the site, wordmagazine.co.uk. Uh, word in your There's ear. There's a gig. new edition of the magazine out on the... Is it the 10th of... Uh, well, second February. Thursday of the month. last night. It's very, very good, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very good. And I, I, anyone who's listening to this uh, and is not aware of the tremendous uh, print media version of the word, let me just... Recommend it very highly. It's Absolutely. It's terrific. Available in news agents. Further details via the website if you need um, um, details of how to subscribe and, uh, and purchase individual copies should you feel so disposed. And um, next week we have gig. Uh, oh, yeah, we do. At the Lexington across the road featuring the mighty Wilco Johnson. Wilco Johnson, superb. And, and a full supporting bill. Uh, somebody was wanting to know if there was going to be a raffle because they're running out of chutney. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely get me right. Well, you, Do you that, want me to make some chutney? Well, well gosh. I, I speak as somebody who made not one but two cauldrons of your chutney over Christmas for various uh, pals and relatives. And uh, it was quite hard work, actually. So to, to oh, ask you to just, you don't really, to ask you to knock together another three jars of your, I mean, I'm you could just go and buy some Jaffa cakes. But yes, the answer to the question is yes, there will be <laughs> a raffle. Very much so. I, I, so get there early. We had a raffle and, you know, there were things like um, it was courgettes, wasn't there? I think there was some hobnobs. It's worth winning, isn't it? Marmite, I think. Maybe gentleman's relish. Who knows? This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.